Hey everybody, this is David, a.k.a. Macintosh. And I'm Diana, a.k.a. Mod, and welcome to another episode of Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. Now, this was really more of an excuse to get you to watch the predecessor to this. Yeah, this week we watched Hearts of Darkness. A filmmaker's apocalypse. Yeah. Documentary that chronicles how Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now was plagued by extraordinary script, shooting, budget, and casting problems, nearly destroying the life and career of the celebrated director. Yeah, so this is a movie about the movie, but that movie I hadn't seen, that movie being Apocalypse Now. So, if you want to hear us talk about that, you'll have to join our Patreon. Yeah! At patreon.com forward slash Macintosh and Mod. We totally set up a special Patreon recording of watching that film. Yes. So, without giving too much away from the Patreon, Mm -hmm. give me just your overall synopsis feeling about Apocalypse Now. Uh, I am pro-Apocalypse Now. I am not a fan of the ending. Marlon Brando is overrated. (laughs) But Uh, I still gave it a good rating. Oh yeah, me too. Same thing. And and still still held up in so many ways for me. This is a documentary that I had eventually tracked down. And I remember bits and pieces of this watching it, but I didn't remember a lot of it. So getting to watch it again was very illuminating. Like, yeah, brightening back all this up and remembering mm-hmm. a whole bunch of things about the making of this movie. And you have never seen it. Yeah, that's kind of the premise of this whole thing. What? Yeah, so you got a twofer out of me. I did. Yep. Well, let's go watch this movie, and then we'll discuss. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So we've seen this documentary now. Yes, yes we have. Your initial thoughts. It's not a good documentary. Oh, au contraire. I don't This is an amazing documentary. I don't think so. Why? It doesn't matter. The movie got made. And it doesn't shine any light on the film itself. Um, it's in, I, what I found the most interesting was Eleanor. Okay, yeah. And I wish they had explored that more and their relationship and her support of him because it was almost, it wasn't really blind, but it was so unusual. I mean, you, you said to me like, note to self, get yourself an Eleanor Coppola. (laughs) Right. And I said, I'm cool, but I'm not that cool. (laughs) Well, because of just how much she's willing to continue down this road with him. She's fully on board. When he had, when Francis has clearly lost his brain, like. He's lost it. He's mortgaged everything they own. And she's just like, well, this is what you have to do to make your great art. Like, she's just like, it's fine. It'll be fine. Whatever. So I think, number one, this documentary is not interesting because of Apocalypse Now. Mm -hmm. And I think you get into a trap with this documentary if you think you're watching this as a companion piece to the movie. This is a movie about filmmaking Um, and about grandiose visions and ideas. I don't feel that way. Because if you haven't seen Apocalypse Now... A good chunk of this wouldn't really matter. You'd be like, oh, he was kind of an idiot, 
Because let's be honest, though it feels like he didn't do any of his homework for this movie. But no, not at all. And I, I am the type of person who... I, I do like the logistics. That's what I'm really good at. I'm like, okay, here's our to-do list. Let me get it in the most logical order to cross it off. Do you side with Lucas? No. Instead of... No. Yeah, well... No, I mean... Fuck George. Well, also, my biggest problem with George Lucas saying, you know, well, he loses the narrative. And I'm like, okay, Shut you up. fucking Kermit <laughs> Muppet, you can't write a script to save your damn life. I mean, he gave us Star Wars, and for that we will be eternally grateful... And he, yeah, he's, he's definitely been a gift to cinema. Right. Like, that place is solidified in the history of film. However, shut up, George Lucas. But, so, is your problem really that practically because he had not paid attention to any of this, mm-hmm. all of the stuff beforehand and thought through it, mm-hmm. That you're left kind of feeling like, well, why should I care about all of this crap? A little bit. I mean, it's not... There are things that are were beyond his control. Obviously. I mean, Marlon Brando is a huge dick. <laughs> like, we'll get there. Like, by a lot. And Martin Sheen's heart attack. It's not... I mean, he... Like, sure, you could have said, well, all the stress of the production. And I was like, hey, that could have happened with him just walking down the street. Uh, it's, that's no one's real, no, it's no one's actual fault. But the monsoons. The monsoon, the And the politics. The um, fact that he was willing to go work with a right-wing fascist government. Yeah, that's a little, mm-hmm. Um, why, you know, why didn't you tr- try a little harder to get the army to work with you? No, I don't, no, they don't, they just say that they refuse to, to work with us because we're making a movie about Vietnam. If he tried any harder to work mm-hmm. with the Marcos government, they'd have taken him in a back alley and shot him. Like, eh, or if, the CIA would have done it for him. I don't know. That, that's sh- dodgy at best. He needed to, uh, say, hire some people and say, you guys need to figure out the logistics of how I'm going to make this movie when and where and with whom. And I'm going to go fix this script. Because I like it, but it's not great yet. And I'm going to go focus on that. And when y'all are ready to shoot this movie, we'll go do it. Yeah. And when you're ready to make this movie, come call me. Yeah. Like, that That would have been the more responsible way to handle this. Especially once he got into, okay, this is going to be difficult and we don't know about the... Uh, you know what? Let's wait. Let's wait a minute. So, I, I actually got a lot out of this. And not even from a a documentary about a film perspective or a movie making perspective. Mm -hmm. I got it from an artistic perspective. I got some too. For Francis, I connected with him in a weird way because I saw his brain working Mm -hmm. in that I am the type of person artistically who thinks about seven steps ahead. This vision is growing and I'm seeing it way out here. The problem is, is I miss all the stuff in the middle and the logistics. Yeah. And then, I missed the thing that we had to do at step one to get even get close to step seven. And now we have to circle back. Mm -hmm. And so I empathize with him in a lot of ways because of that. Mm -hmm. I also empathize with him, not from his later interviews. Like we get the, the talking head interviews with everybody in 91, but his interviews in the moment, Mm -hmm. like the candid conversations with Eleanor. Yeah. And then, you know, him at con just being like, we had too much money. We had too much equipment. We were just like the soldiers in Vietnam. Yeah. We were given way too much stuff and we had no idea what the fuck we were doing. And that is 100% his fault. Agreed. But in the moment, 
he recognizes that. And that's, that's good. And that is what is so fascinating about this documentary to me. He is at once incredibly egotistical and stubborn mm-hmm. and unwilling to give up. But he also recognizes that it's a total fucking disaster. And he is desperate to figure out how to make it work. Like that, the whole scene when he finally breaks down mm-hmm. and he's on the thing and just being like, I can't understand why nobody sees that this is going to be terrible. I am making a terrible movie. It's that dichotomy and that internal conflict that is completely visible from yes. him that is just fascinating to watch for I, me. I think it's very helpful as an artist in any medium to see somebody who was already so accomplished throwing what is essentially an artistic hissy fit exactly no no, and it's that's great because it's important to know that people that you look up to struggle they have those moments where they're stuck they're lost where they are not always amazing well and and i think also what's really cool is you know, we see it in the first shots when they're doing the helicopter scene, which mm-hmm. that scene's so nice. fucking incredible. And it's really cool to see the behind the scenes part of it yeah. of how technically they mm-hmm. manipulated everything. And then you see how the edit comes together to make that scene work. Mm-hmm. But more interesting is, so that's when we start seeing the armies taking the helicopters yeah. away or they were having to ship different pilots in. So they're doing, they're not flying at the right height to get the camera. Yeah. And you're seeing his face already know. It's this thing of that the second he gets there, he knows he's in over his head. Well, there's another piece that they didn't talk about in this film, but I know it because it's it's a piece of trivia is there is no film processing in the Philippines. He shot he didn't see a single piece of footage until he got back to the state. So he shot the whole thing blind, which is part of why he shot so much. Of course. Which makes complete sense, but it's also like this is another logistical thing that cost you so much money. Oh, yeah. That, like, yeah, you should have just thought about it better. But, um, and and I do appreciate those the technical hurdles. I do. Just, like, them building the temple. And then the monsoons. The, mon- the monsoons that destroyed. That was my first gasp moment, is when I see the monsoons come in, and the whole temple set is gone, and I'm like, oh, It wasn't completely gone, but it was fucked up. And they hadn't like, finished building it. But you're like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Because yeah. they tell you right at the beginning, these were actual 300-pound stones mm-hmm. that they built that and they stacked made. on top of each other. That they totally like, exploited those workers. And... <laughs> There's some real problematic shit they were doing in the Philippines with people, so wow. I'm not even going to get there. Yeah. Yeah, no. The, well, the Marcos government is awful and evil, so that's bad enough. Yes, but we shouldn't have taken advantage of that. So I think the thing that I found the most interesting was the stuff about Martin Sheen. Oh my gosh. When they reveal his state of mind. His state of mind in that opening scene, which I had read a little bit about, but to hear him talk about it and talk about, you know, I, he was struggling with his alcoholism uh-huh. during this time and he hadn't had anything to drink for a while and he decided, I'm going to drink and nope, I'm going to I'm gonna deal with this demon tonight. And he does. And it, it, it honestly, watching the scene in the movie is like, damn. And then watching it in this is like, wow. It's one of those just pure performance moments. Watching. Well, it's not so much performance as it is. Exercising of a demon. It's someone laying their emotions very raw and it just being captured on film. 
And so when we watched that, that's what made me uncomfortable because I was like, this isn't acting at this point. This is him uh, dealing with with his demons. Yeah. And that, I, that, that's where it feels very voyeuristic. It, and and he, he allowed it. And so he's fine with it as a performer. And so that makes it okay. But in that moment when we know it's, I was like, oh, this is uncomfortable. You're on the knife edge. Yes. You're it's uncomfortable. You're, and intensely so. Those are such amazing moments because I do mm-hmm. think there is an element of acting. You know, acting is not supposed to just be about pretend. I think a lot of times it feels that way, but acting is supposed to be about finding the truth of a character. And depending on where you're at and what you're doing, mm-hmm. and in this and in this moment, I think he specifically saw. I mean, I, I think it plays back to the foreshadowing of him going to Francis, saying, "Well, who is Willard?" Mm-hmm. And Francis is going. Lillard is whoever you are right now. But that's the movie he wanted to make no, and I, Martin I clued in. If it hadn't been consensual, mm-hmm. if if for Francis had kept trying to push him in that scene, it'd yeah. be one thing. But the fact that he breaks his no, hand, absolutely. Francis calls it and says, get you to a doctor. And, and Martin, Martin goes, says, nope, no, we're going to keep going. Then that makes it. Absolutely. No, I, it's fine. It's just in that moment. You're like, this is, yeah. this is, this is, this is am, I am I allowed to be watching this? That's that's where that that is, but then you get the heart attack. I know his heart attack, and he got last rites. That's from how almost... last rites from a priest who didn't speak English, and you're going what? And and Martin Sheen is extremely Catholic, um, but Francis has to hide it, and that made me be like, that's really fucked up. At the same time, Martin knew that too. Oh yeah, Martin fully was like. Uh-uh, I know if I don't tell if anybody finds out about this, this is going to kill this movie. Exactly. So, so that's another one of those like Francis is being like when we're listening to that phone call, you're like you're being such a dick, but I understand this is like of course I want Marty to be okay, but there is a there's a bottom line here for me, and I have to think about. It. It's kind of like what you think your boss is saying at work. Where you're like, well, yeah, I know so and so's got to go on leave, for, but it affects my bottom line and it blows. I don't. I, I I I totally sympathize with all sides, but the fact that even Martin is like, no, we can't tell anybody. That again is one of those. It's okay. I I think. What's so great about this movie is that, you know, we don't find out that doesn't happen until like 100 to 150 days into production. Yeah. Like they are deep in the shit. And I don't think Francis would have ever Francis. If this was early in the process, Francis would have said, I'm recasting. We're just going to redo it. Yeah, because he did that with Harvey Keitel. He did. But as time goes on, Francis becomes so fascinating because he's such an asshole. And yet you understand exactly why he is such an asshole in every single moment. Because you, putting yourself in his shoes, are going fucking insane with him. Well, okay, this is why a lot of generals and colonels are just assholes because it's like not only do i have to deal with all this shit i have to tell all these people to do the things to make the other things happen yeah it's yeah it's it's it is absolutely nuts it is nuts that this movie actually wound up getting made and then it's not shit it's better than not shit it won the palm door it can like it is a classic war film and has achieved legendary status and made its fucking money back. So good on you, Francis. 
it's insane because you're looking at a movie that's like this is a giant epic scale movie all being done by one guy yeah and i i kind of like that where he's just like well if it fails it's definitely all my fault but if it's good it's all mine and i i get that and i i fully respect that and i love i just love the line did you ever think about quitting no why would i quit it's France. How am I supposed to quit myself? myself. It's all my money. I'm <laughs> it. And that's 100% true. I've definitely thought about that in terms of just our whole podcast network. How do I quit? It's me. It's mine. There's it's no yours. way to quit like, once you've ma- decided to do that for yourself. Yeah, it's like, fuck, this is just what it is. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, certain projects may go by the wayside, but the actual thing itself yeah, isn't no, going to end. You can't quit, yeah. There's, there's also the thing with Eleanor, and I do wish there was more, but Eleanor's story, some of what's going on there... I think it rewards a repeat viewing in some ways because Eleanor's story mm-hmm. is told through the camera. Francis asked her to make a documentary about right. it. That's cool. But then they also brought all three of their children with them, Gio, Roman, and Sophia. They were all there through all of this, which is also nuts. A little bit. It's fucking nuts. I would like to see a little documentary thing about their relationship and her through all of these movies. Right. Because she was there for all of it and she was an integral part. And also she's clearly, I don't want to say that she's uh, his muse, but she is his facilitator. Yeah. Like she's fully on board that artistic train. And that is so unusual. It is unnerving how on board she is she's just there for all of it because normally even after the fact she's like well yeah some of it was crazy but yeah it's just it was such a fascinating experience she's like we were living in a 20 room mansion on a on a wine estate Mm -hmm. she's like i don't care we could lose it all tomorrow and it'd still be worth it i mean she does have the right perspective look he can go make a movie tomorrow and make money back we'll be fine yeah or, or he'll go do another job and provide for us it'll be fine and i i i do appreciate that someone who's that rich has no attachment to the stuff yeah. Because I'm a person who likes stuff. <laughs> and I would, st- and that's something like I pers- I'm working on getting rid of all the extra stuff. But that is really refreshing to hear. So, no, I would like to know a lot more about Eleanor. Yeah. The, the flip side is it's unnerving how willing she is to put up with it as we get deeper she into the jungle. It. She encourages it. And you start like, questioning. She tries to talk him down off of the true crazy, like trying to kill himself. Right. Which he never. As far as we know, he didn't try to, but he definitely threatened to. He was he was definitely thinking about it. Yeah, so she definitely tries to talk him off with that. But the re- the artistic crazy, yep, go for it. I knew it's your movie. Uh, with, oh, and it was her idea to do the whole animal sacrifice. Yes. That was her thing, which I don't know how I feel about. I thought, and this is me, mm-hmm. I understand that it may not make you appreciate it, I actually love that that's the ending, Mm -hmm. and it helps me understand the ending. Francis talks about it of it being a moment of death. We start with this bird, we Mm -hmm. start with a renaissance, and then we sacrifice at the end, Mm -hmm. and a renaissance and a rebirth. Yeah. And to me, with the sacrifice going on, it's the sacrifice of an animal to bring new life. It's the sacrifice of Kurtz to restore the order of the universe. And that's why I was like, okay... I actually appreciate this ending. He finally found it at the end. At the moment he had to. 
I know it might not read that way to everybody. It just for me, it really struck in I, that moment. I don't. I don't have a problem with um, the ritual itself. I would have liked it better if they had used her documentary footage instead of bringing in a whole other set of animals for them to slaughter. Uh, yeah, that, well, that felt icky. It feels. It's hard to say because. On the one hand, I, it's it's a ritual they might have performed anyway as indigenous people. I feel like that's a people. little exploitive. He, exactly. That's that's where I feel a little icky. I mean, I know he he provided the animal, but it it feels icky. <laughs> I don't I don't like it. Animal lovers, be forewarned. <laughs> uh, I am pro humane animal treatment, and also I like bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm on the Temple Grandin side of things. Well, and I guarantee you this movie gets made today. That would be completely faked. It would be completely staged and it wouldn't have been a real animal. Sure. So, you know, there's also the side of it where you want to respect the indigenous culture. That's that's where I just feel, I I feel like if it had just been her documentary footage a little bit, it would have been better. Yeah. You want to talk about Brando? He's a (laughs) total dick. Okay. So there's there's this there's tiny, a couple different things about this that are so bad on his part. There is a tiny tiny bit of empathy I grant him, which is yes he's overindulged, but I think the guy is clearly depressed, and that's but, why he's completely overweight. The guy has had mental issues. There's no doubt. Right, and the line that that Francis clued me into with that is he was extremely embarrassed. Oh, yeah. And it being Marlon Brando, you're going to wind up accommodating that. Now, it immediately turns around when Francis says, hey, look, we'll accommodate it. We'll rewrite the story so it makes sense. And he has the perfect idea of, well, you've been in the jungle. You've become this god. So you've embraced this hedonism. Yeah. And that's why you're there. And Brando refuses because. In Brando's mind, he's still that more svelte gentleman it's not just that but brando has the role in mind he knows what kurtz is supposed to be nobody gets to tell him what it isn't oh and brando had the clout to be able to say that to anybody he also already had his million (laughs) dollars which he said that he i'm not gonna show up fuck you i'm gonna keep it (laughs) and i i really wish that that Francis would have just recast the role because he's arguing about him not coming in on time. Uh-huh. Basically, he says, I don't want to bring you in until the end of the shoot and Brando's threatening to pull out because it's too it's too late in his schedule. Yeah. Which Brando wasn't doing fucking anything. He at was this point. eating himself to death. He was 88 pounds overweight. Regardless. That's Francis finally at the end of this phone call when he's arguing with the agent just sits there and goes, you know, at the end of the fucking day, I don't fucking care. Give him his fucking million dollars. I'll go cast somebody else to do Kurtz. I can get Pacino. And if I can't get Pacino, I'll get this guy. Okay, if, I Nicholson, get... if I can't get him, I'll do something he's like, else. I'll cast somebody fucking else to do it. Yeah. Honestly, Francis in his self-indulgent art moments is very eye-rolly. Francis in his practical, well, what the fuck am I going to do moments is perfect. I love at the end when he's having to be like, you know, at the end of the day, no one wants to make a pretentious movie. That's the absolute worst thing you could do. 
I, I do like that there, it's almost like he's outside of himself going, this is fucking stupid. Just fire him. But right. then, but then his, his ego and his artist says, nope, we're not going to do that. It's, it's very, it, it's very, it's a little Jekyll and Hyde. It makes me want to have dinner with the man with like five glasses of wine and some good pasta because I think he is the type of guy who just his entire inner monologue is on display. And oh, it's, I do appreciate that. And he is both constantly talking from his his idea brain mm-hmm. and then at the same time undermining that with his actual internal dialogue. And I was like, I just want to yeah. see this live because it's so amazing to watch. <laughs> that That is entertaining. I, I do that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> where you're just like, what is happening? Like, I'm having this great idea. What the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, it, it happens every now and then. Um, the crazy comes out. It doesn't but, hurt that he's kind of a cute, cuddly teddy bear of a man. Oh, yeah, we stopped it and you're like, that is your father, if he was Italian. <laughs> if he was Italian, had a beard, and super, super pretentious. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the other, like, interesting... Okay, well, one other thing about Brando that made him so infuriating is that he didn't even bother to do his fucking homework. No. Didn't read the book. He didn't read the book. Couldn't memorize the lines. Which pissed Francis off a lot. He was furious about that. Oh, of course he was. That's what I'm basing this whole goddamn thing on. There's They don't cover it in this movie, but it's in um, the IMDb trivia that Brando refused to have the name Kurtz. Like, this guy wouldn't have this name. It would be something more British or whatever. And then, so all on set, they're like, fine, we'll change it. Who cares? And then Brando finally reads Hearts of Darkness, which is where the name Kurtz comes from. Heart of Darkness. Heart of Darkness, sorry. And then he insists, absolutely not. It has to be Kurtz because he's a dick. Yes, no. He's a dick. Because he he doesn't pay attention to, to any of that stuff going on. What is fascinating? So Francis makes the decision. He's like, the guy doesn't know any fucking lines. Mm -hmm. I was like, either I have to shut down production for three weeks and rewrite everything, or I can let this guy improv because that is one of the things he's fucking amazing at. Mm -hmm. For all of Brando's shit, he is an amazing improviser. And so he says, okay, I'm just going to go. And I love that sequence where it's like, we're, we're improvising. Oh, kind of. In- no, this is a bullshit take. Okay, well, this is not bullshit take. And then, oh, this is stupid. And then suddenly he it gets something. And he goes into his little trance. And it's at that moment where you go, look, Marlon Brando's an asshole. I won't defend him personally. He does have some genius in him. But in that mo- that one moment mm-hmm. that we watched, that last sequence right before he goes to the window, you're just like, fuck dude no wonder you were such an idol for a long time like you are kind of amazing you you're just an ass <laughs> you're a horrible person exactly and you're a pain in the ass to work with and now people don't want to put up with that no and and wouldn't anymore no but here's uh, for the thing. all that for all that, that shit amazing and... moment in the documentary never fucking shows up in the movie yeah i don't get an ounce of that magic i know none of it he's a big reason why i did not give apocalypse now a higher rating i know he's I, the main reason why i'm desperate for another person to play that role but you know okay well give it another 20 years and i'll remake this movie oh god i don't think they should though some of the other interesting characters, Dennis fucking Hopper, man. He's so entertaining. <laughs> I want a movie of him just being that dude. Oh. And him him in 
in this movie, in this documentary, is pretty entertaining. So I love that there's only one moment of him from 1991. Mm -hmm. They only use one segment, and it's just him going, I was in really bad shape at that time. (laughs) And then the rest of it is him on set, fucking out of his mind on drugs. And fighting with Francis, and Francis is yelling at him, like, you don't learn your lines, Dennis. You don't know anything. And Dennis is like, figure it out I'll, I'll just just tell me what you want me well, to do man, just tell me well but but tell it has me what to be i'm supposed to do tell me what i'm supposed to do man. why you know man yeah it's no man i'm just you know it's just, kind of great he's so fucking high and brandon hate brando hated him uh well of course refused to be around him so that's why they're never in any scenes it's the thing of it's two separate generations and he's pissed because dennis sure. probably got more famous than he did and yeah. was at the time but Hopper, in his own way, is a genius. The fact that he able he's able to pull off the performance he does, which yeah. really is barely a performance if you're yeah. looking at him, it, it's that weird thing of he is so fucking scattered. Yep. And then as soon as the camera goes on, he's right in it. Yep. Like, in his eyes. He's just one of those people, at least for, at this time in his life, where it's like, la la la, action. Hello. I'm going to do this and cut. La 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 la. Yeah, except the motor mouth was because he was on fucking speed, yeah, heroin, everything. cocaine, yeah. everything under the sun. He did not get clean until 1983. Yeah. Well, he was definitely doing some of that compartmentalized stuff. Martin Sheen comes out as the most amazing human ever. By the end of this documentary, I'm like, I love you, Martin Sheen, even more than I might already have. I love him as a performer. I have a few problems with him as a person. Mm-hmm. But they're minor, so it's okay. But just as a character in this documentary, he's, he's, he's he's great. He's fascinating. John Milius. (laughs) He's pretty entertaining. I mean, I told you, Walter Subcheck. Yeah, kind of. He's, he's a right wing gun nut. You can see the bloodlust in his eyes a little bit. And you're just like, yeah, it's like you're a dude I'd have a beer with, but then I'd probably want to get away from pretty quick. It's just funny hearing him riffing on little things. He's entertaining. Well, I love his story about, you know, I'm supposed to be the guy who goes in there and tells him to clean it up and get it better. And then I come out after five, 15 minutes and be like, you're a god, I'll do anything for you. (laughs) I I do like that. He did write the line. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. And when he wrote it, he said that that is stupid. That's going to be the first thing they cut. And it's the most iconic line from the whole film. Absolutely. Yeah. And then George Lucas gets to play a role, which, like I say, every time I see his (laughs) Muppety beard face, I just want to. Who did Lucas Punch play? Him. Lucas. Oh, no, I'm thinking in Apocalypse Now. Nobody. Oh, okay. Well, no, I, what Harrison I mean is... Ford's officer name is Lucas. That's true. Uh, but no, I just mean he, he is a character, character in this in documentary. The, and I appreciate Lucas's perspective, though, yeah. because he was one of the original Zoetrope guys. And he was originally supposed to do this movie. Yeah, this was... He and Milius had worked on it since 1969. Mm-hmm. And then he got the green light on Star Wars while they were still developing it. I still thought it was insane, their original plan, which was, we're going to go to Vietnam and film during the war. During the war. That's stupid. (laughs) That's epically stupid. That's college. That's just out of college kids stupid, which is what they were. Yes, that was. And Francis was the teacher. I don't want to go to war, but we'll go over there to play movie maker. (laughs) That's that's what that was. Uh, It all was. But I I do appreciate his perspective on filmmaking because he can't they they talked about it on thx the documentary i watched on that Mm -hmm. which was lucas was at usc 
which was a cinematography heavy school. It was all technical. Okay. Francis was at UCLA, which was all writing and creative yeah. ideas. And so they are these two loggerhead creative personalities where Lucas is all about the technical and mm-hmm. Francis is all about the artistry. And so they're just completely opposite of each other. And Spielberg's like right in the middle. Yep. Because he was around for all this shit. Yep. Anything about like the style of the documentary? It's, I mean, this I is thought kind it was of a unique. documentary app. No, it's not unique in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's Eleanor's footage. In Diary. In Diary. And her recordings from their, her conversations with Francis. And then it's interviews. There's nothing special. It's they had found footage and then they talked to people about it. That's it. It's very Ken Burns. It, That's what it reminds me of a little bit. No. It feels very um, featurette and not a full-length documentary. Well, it's a TV documentary. Yeah. So that's part of why. Because mm-hmm. it, at first I'm, it was like, why is it in standard TV? And I was like, that's right. This was a TV documentary. This wasn't made for for cinema. What? And so watching it, I went, mm. oh, that's right. Okay. I mean, it's been hailed as a classic film documentary about movies. It's not. I would disagree. I, I, I don't know. I find it incredibly compelling. The characters are all amazing. The story is outlandish. And then on top of that, it just hits at these really interesting deep nuggets for me. So I really like it, which means that it's time to get to our ratings. Oh, okay. So let's see. We got to go with helicopters being taken by uh, Filipino generals, right? <laughs> I think that's a good one. Sure. I'm going to give this a solid four out of five helicopters. What? I really like it. Again, it's because I connected. Tickled is a million times better than this. I I connected on a real personal Uh. level with Francis's Francis and his character. I just did. And I really, really like where it goes and how it goes there. It's just my personal take on it not everybody's gonna feel the same way and i totally get it how many helicopters do you give it 2.5 okay it's not a turd but and there are things i liked about it but it doesn't it's not a stand up on its own type of thing it doesn't stand on its own at all to me and it doesn't add anything to the movie itself like the my appreciation for it well all right Mm -hmm. can't all be winners for both of us nope next week is our last documentary entry yes, for the series. Yes, and we, we have a special one. It's what won Best Documentary Feature this year at the Oscars. Produced by a little, I don't know, little startup. It's, mm. Nobody's not, no, you know, they're just starting out <laughs> getting some content they're, out they're, there. They're, they're called Netflix? Yeah, we're doing Icarus. Ah. Uh, yeah, that follows the doping scandals. The Olympic doping scandals from Russia. From Russia. So we're going to watch that. We we were interested in it before I got the Oscar, and this it won this year, and it's available, so it's, we're going to watch it. Netflix does have some great documentaries on there. It does. So yeah, uh, you'll join us next week for our last documentary. If you want to listen to our Apocalypse Now episode, or an episode about Josie and the Pussycats from 2001, 
for what? our brand new My Little Pony Equestria Girls coverage. Three movies? You can go to patreon.com forward slash Macintosh and Mod and you can sign up under a tier. We've got multiple tiers at at different levels so you can do a show specific one you can become a stable member for our our network and that gives you all the content it gets you shout outs on our shows and and for some of you special people some stickers for our shows Ooh. yes we have some network and show specific stickers that we're ready to give away to some new patrons keep your eye out for it Okay, this week we went and saw 8th grade. An introverted teenage girl tries to survive the last week of her disastrous 8th grade year before leaving to start high school. I really like this. It was a really good movie. It was good. Surprisingly unpretentious. and Very unpretentious. It's telling in the first five minutes of the movie when they don't take out any of the likes and ums in this teenager speech. Yeah, uh... This, uh, the main character, Kayla, she does YouTube videos. And so we get to see some of them, and none of them are edited. So they uh, have all the ums and likes and the uh, and all of that stuff, things we try to edit out of here. Right. <laughs> they're, they're there, and it's great. And it's just so matter-of-fact. I'm reminded of how twee and precious Juno could be at times. Yes. And how this is the polar opposite of that. Correct. It says nothing about that. There's no heightened language or or heightened reality of these kids' lives for any purpose. Nope. There's no romanticizing of anything. It's just, here's a snippet of life for a 13-year-old girl. It's kind of amazing to me that this has actors. This has people who are clearly trained. Yeah. But are able to ground themselves in that reality so well. It makes me wonder how much was improvised. I've listened to a couple interviews with Bo Burnham, who wrote and directed this, and you know he did say that he would go and meet with all of the kids, the extras, and some of the things they said or did, he ended up putting in the script. He's like, because what they did as themselves was funnier or better than anything he could have written. Yeah. So I would encourage y'all to go seek out those interviews. He was on Mark Marin, and he was also on Fresh Air with Terry Gross, and he said some really great things. I mean, I will say, I, I do feel like it takes a specific position in some ways about social media. I don't. I think it's, this is a tool. This is a part of their life. And it's not all bad. Some of it is bad, but it, it's not all bad. I think what's more arresting is how directly bad it is and how he shows how bad it gets because of that. Things that we don't necessarily, because we we were older when we jumped into social media. Social I mean, media didn't exist when we were this age. But that's what I mean. When social media came along, we were older. Mm-hmm. I was in college at that point. Yeah. When Facebook really hit big. Facebook. And it was only in college. Yep. I joined Facebook in 2004. <laughs> when I was a freshman in college. Yeah, I, I joined in 2005 Later. when I came in. So, <laughs> But in any case, we, we viewed it from the lens of being older, of not nearly, not quite mature, mm-hmm. but not in that awkward 
early phase of adolescence. No, and it and this is just the parent in me. I'm watching this and thinking, Ugh, I'm gonna have to, ugh, I'm gonna have to have all these conversations with our daughter oh, and our son. Yeah. Just there's just the awkwardness with the romantic interest and all the stuff that that goes along with with social media and what you should or shouldn't be doing. And then there's just the conversations with her dad, which are so beyond perfect. They could not be more perfect, both in the funny way and a heartfelt way, but all felt earned. Um, her dad is played by Josh Hamilton, who I love. I haven't seen enough with him in he, it. He has been on a lot of television, but he was in a movie that I adored from the 90s called With Honors that starred Brendan Fraser and Joe Pesci. And it is, he's a horrible person in that movie, but he's great at it. And so I really like that guy. Yeah, and he's been around forever. Like, yeah. I know the name, and I know mm-hmm. that there's things he's been in. Uh, this is just a really shockingly grounded performance from him. Well, and it's also a wonderful performance from Elsie Fisher, who plays yes. Kayla. Uh, she has also been Agnes from Despicable Me. <laughs> she's the she's the little one with the unicorn. And that is one thing I love that Bo Burnham had said in an interview. He says, like, you know, Kayla's biggest anxiety right now is that everyone's telling her she's amazing. And she is, but she doesn't believe so. <laughs> yeah. So if you do not know Bo Burnham, I would suggest you go seek out some of his comedy. He got his start on YouTube when he was 16 years old. And so he has really dealt with the rise of all of this type of stuff. He's a perfect person to write this story. Not to mention that, you know, people that he idolized mm-hmm. were out in public saying this dude's a hack how mm-hmm. could he get this popular this fast and had to directly confront a lot of them about it yeah and so many of them came around to him by there's an interview we saw at the alamo mm-hmm. from prov provenza's green room yeah that interview changed a lot of people's minds yeah directly because bo burnham completely said you know a lot of comics are like you know you didn't you know didn't do your work you know getting your licks and getting heckled in a club and i would invite them all to go online and read ten thousand comments about their set and see if they haven't gotten enough feedback yeah so it's it, so yeah he was always the young youtube guy and he hated that for a while and now it's kind of like nope that's me it's okay and I think once they got to know him, they mm-hmm. accepted him in the fold because that was the problem was he was this YouTube kid that hadn't been in a club ever. Once he actually started to work the circuit and they met him mm-hmm. and were like, oh, he's not a 16 year old snotty kid. He's actually a really smart, thoughtful comedian yeah. who just happened to get popular this way. They all came around on him. He's yeah, like it, their little brother now. Yeah. But it... it I, I understand. Some of them still a little resentful, but... It is, but, you know, I, on the other hand, I can kind of understand if you're a 40-year-old comedian who's been working a circuit forever, and you've had to work your ass off to get where you are, and then this kid gets popular overnight, I, I, I get... I get the resentment. Every industry. Yeah. There's always somebody who bec- who's just a hot shot overnight. And sometimes it's earned, and sometimes it's not. And it's just the way it is. Fortunately, Bo is one of those people who worked hard and earned Continues everything to work hard. he got. And this, this is this is a wonderful next step for him. him. Oh yes, and I look forward to uh, uh, looking more of his comedy, and I hope he writes more and directs more. He direct he got to direct Chris Rock's last special. Yeah, which is insane. <laughs> it's awesome. But people people know that he's got the chops to do it. Mm-hmm. The question that that I think does come up is this has a little bit of early Oscar buzz. Do you think it makes it into there at all at the end of the year? 
it depends on how successful it is. I could see it getting. Uh, I I could see it getting about the same play that The Big Sick did. An original that, screenplay, an not original for sure. Screenplay, maybe. I don't see direction because the direction is good, but I don't think it's anything special. Elsie Fisher would be an inside shot, depending maybe, on the performance. Maybe an we indie see later. spirit or a Golden Globe and, nod. I don't see it, Oscar. Nod. And Josh Hamilton as supporting actor, I could really see happening. Maybe, but. I know there's so much to I come. It's I don't it's think summer. any of them are going to the Oscars. Yeah, it's it's yeah, the little it's, it's the little summer movie that could. Yes. So we'll just have to wait and see. But if if it's a shitty Oscar season with a bunch of obvious bait type movies, this could be that. There's some obvious bait type movies about to pop up here. This could be that little engine yes. that could for it, this year. Yeah, it could be the Little Miss Sunshine movie, yeah. and that's fine, and that would be great. And this uh, this is be an interesting story to get to do that but i know there's so many other films coming out it's just a little early to pin this one on yeah i think in in this sudden glut of movies about adolescence Mm -hmm. this one stands out in being a little bit different like call me by your name i think is a gorgeous and almost perfect film yes but this is a totally different experience it is and i identify with all of her stuff i identify with all of her stuff that doesn't involve being a, a girl. That isn't specific to being a girl. <laughs> exactly. That's fair. But all uh, of her anxiety was yep. so arresting for me. Oh, it's I mean, that's perfect. I've known all of that feeling every time being around people. I still struggle with that. Oh, yeah. And just seeing that portrayed was so... It was, it was awesome, honestly. It was really cool to see. Oh, like, just listening... Before we saw... I mean, I said before we've been listening to Bo Burnham stuff, like him talking about dealing with his anxiety made me realize that I have in fact been having panic attacks for the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun. So this movie is always going to be associated with that for me. <laughs> like we said, it's not a negative feelings movie. No, it's it, just a, this is what it is movie. There's some cringy moments. There's some sad moments, but there's really a lot of just like, Oh man, yeah, I remember that feeling. And it is quite funny. Yeah. But it is not appropriate for children. No. Nope, it is rated R and they mean R. I mean, if you're if your kids going into high school, fine. I would take them cuz I think it's perfectly relatable. No, I agree. I told you, you know, if I if our daughter was 13, 14 going into high school and we had already had some of those conversations particularly about sex. Yeah. Uh then I would be comfortable watching this movie cuz it would be a great opportunity to reinforce. But if you have not had any of those conversations and you are looking to avoid them, don't go see this movie. <laughs> um if you want if you have not had those conversations and you want a way to start them, Go see this movie because it'll open open the door. There will be a lot of conversations. Uh, yes, there will. <laughs> it's not a feel-good family movie. <laughs> okay, I think we thought we talked a lot about this movie. And, and uh, yeah, I'm good. Well, until next time. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.